Welcome back, my friends, to the Big Book Podcast. My name is Howard, and I'm an alcoholic. Sober since January 1988, one day at a time. In this episode, the 28th and 29th stories from the Personal Stories section of the first edition of Alcoholics Anonymous, published in 1939. These are the final two stories in the Big Book and are entitled The Rolling Stone and Lone Endeavor. As with many other stories in the first edition, these stories were left out of the second and subsequent editions of Alcoholics Anonymous, though they are no less powerful than other stories. For listeners who have never seen them, these stories will sound brand new. After these stories, I will conclude the first edition of the Big Book by reading the appendix at the end of the book. And now, the original stories, The Rolling Stone and Lone Endeavor, followed by the appendix. The Rolling Stone After the breaking up of our home, my father went west and took up his work and became fairly successful. Then it was decided that I should be sent to a preparatory school, so to a Midwestern school I was sent. It didn't last long, for I got into a jam and left. I went to Chicago, wrote my father, and he sent me fair to come on west, which I did. I started into high school after I got there, but I had no companionship, for my father was away most of the day, and when he came in, he always spent the evenings reading and studying. This all caused me to become very bitter towards anything religious, because I felt that I was only in his way when he wanted to read his religious books, and he took only enough interest in me to leave a dollar on the dresser each morning to buy my meals with. It caused me to become so hostile towards anything religious that I formed a hatred against religion which I was to carry for years. During the time which I spent by myself, I had found that I could buy wine and loaf around saloons, and it wasn't long before I had formed a taste for drink. I was only about fourteen years old then, but I looked eighteen. When vacation time came, I wanted to go to San Francisco. My father willingly let me go, and after seeing the sights of that city, I decided I wanted to go to sea and see the world, so it was only a short time before I found myself signed as an apprentice at sea and leading a new life. In the meantime, my mother had married again. I knew she was well taken care of, so my letters were few and my visits home were years apart, and through the selfish interest I had taken in myself, I never gave a thought to how worried she might be over me. I had become a person wrapped up in my own life only, and giving no thought of anyone else. Starting to see out of San Francisco brought me in and out of port there a great deal, so I considered San Francisco my home, and as I had arrived there about 1905, I knew the old San Francisco of before the earthquake, where the lid was off and vice flourished at all times. In my young life, I saw all and knew all, and considered myself well able to play the game as others did. I developed into a steady drinker, and, when going to sea, was sure I took enough liquor along to take care of me for the trip. When we arrived at a foreign port, we would go ashore and proceed to see the sights which mostly started at the first saloon. If American liquor was not to be had or was too high in cost, then we would drink their native drink. And as I look back, it hardly seems possible that I have a brain left to remember with, for I have done about everything possible to destroy it by overindulgence in alcohol. 
I have been to most of the ports in this world, have stayed in some for some time, have put in a winter in Alaska, lived in the tropics, but no time did I ever find a place where I could not get liquor. I quit the sea when I was just past twenty. I had become interested in construction work, also had studied some art and learned the fresco decorating trade. Eventually, I went into the building trade and have followed that ever since. I had always made good wages or made good at contracting, but was ever a rolling stone, never staying in one place long and drinking just the same as in my seafaring days. I had always a certain respect for myself, and I carried my liquor well for years, knew enough not to make a show of myself, and stopped when I had enough. Then came the war. I was twenty-nine years old and was in Texas when I went into the Army and went overseas from there. After leaving Texas, I found out that we were stopping in my hometown for an hour, and I received permission to call my mother when we arrived there. So fortunately, I was able to get her down to the train before I left. I had not been home in eleven years, and I then told her if I came back alive, I would come home to stay. I had not been in the service long before I was a high-ranking non-commissioned officer, for I had learned Army discipline years before in the Army Transport Service, and while in this country and when behind the lines in France, this gave me a chance to get my liquor when my buddies couldn't. But when we got to the front lines, it was the first time in years that I was unable to get my daily share of alcohol, but when it was possible, I never missed. On into Germany for six months where I made up for lost time. Schnapps was barred to American troops, but I got mine. After coming back to the U.S., I received an honorable discharge and came back to my home and mother. Then I started trying to break away from liquor, but it did not last. The last few years found me in all kinds of mix-ups, for I had at last developed into an alcoholic. When I drank, I would get to the state where it required a doctor to straighten me out. The times I have had to rely upon doctors are numerous. I even tried sanitariums for relief. I had plenty of suffering thrown in, but still I would drift back again to that first drink, and off again I went. I wanted to quit, but each time I drank, it was worse than before. The misery that my mother went through was unbelievable, for I had become her sole support. I was willing to try anything, if I could only get a release from this curse. I knew it was breaking up my home, and I was losing every one that was dear to me. For a few months, I was successful in discontinuing drinking. Then, all of a sudden, I fell again. I lost my position and thought I was through. When I was told of a doctor who had been successful in overcoming alcohol and was asked to go and see him in a nearby city, I consented, but with a feeling that it was just another cure. From him and a number of other men, however, I found it was possible to become a man again. He suggested my entrance into a hospital to clear my mind and build me up. Meals had become a thing of the past for me. I had lost all appetite for food, but forced myself to eat a little to survive. This doctor told me that, unless I was sincere in wanting to quit drinking, I would be wasting his time and mine, and also money, in doing this. My answer was I would try anything that would release me. I went into the hospital and started to build my body up again through proper nourishment and my mind through a different method than I had ever known of. 
a religious awakening was conveyed to me through some unseen force. I at one time would have laughed at such a possibility because I had tried it and failed, because I had not applied it properly. I, at last, was shown the way by these men to whom I am now most grateful. I am now fifty years old, unmarried, have become sane and sensible again, have made my mother happy, and brought back those who were dear to me, have made many new friends, mixed where I never mixed before, received back my old position. I have the respect of my fellow men, and have learned how to actually live and really enjoy life. It has been nearly a year and a half since I found this new life, and I know as long as I do the few things that God requires me to do, I never will take another drink. Lone Endeavor As a mother looked idly through a small medical journal, an article written by a doctor on alcoholism caught her attention. Anything in reference to this subject was worthy of perusal, for her son, an only child, had been drinking uncontrollably for years. Each year of his drinking had added new heartaches, though every small ray of hope had been investigated, and though he had tried desperately to stop. But little had been accomplished. He was occasionally able to remain sober for short periods of time, but things constantly became worse. So, this mother read the short medical article with a heavy heart, for she was constantly on the alert to find something which might prove helpful to her son. The article gave only a vague hint of the solution found by many alcoholics, which is fully covered in this book, but the mother immediately wrote to the doctor, explaining her heartbreaking problem and requesting further information. She felt there must be help somewhere, and surely if other men had recovered from alcoholism, her son also had a chance. The doctor turned her letter over to Alcoholics Anonymous. It ended as follows. God knows if you can help my son, it will bring happiness to many of us who love him and ache with him in his futile efforts to overcome his problem. Please accept my gratitude for whatever you may be able to do, and let me hear from you. A few days later, the following letter was sent to this mother. It was our initial effort to help others through the book alone. About a hundred men here in the East have found a solution for alcoholism that really works. We are now preparing a book, hoping to help others who suffer in the same way, and are enclosing a rough copy of the first two chapters. As soon as possible, we will forward rough copy of the rest of the proposed book. We received no answer for some time, and later wrote again, We are sending you a pre-publication multi-lith copy of Alcoholics Anonymous. We would appreciate hearing about your son's condition and his reaction to this volume, as this is the first time we have had an opportunity of trying to help an alcoholic at long distance. Won't you please write us? Sincerely, Alcoholics Anonymous. After another period of silence from the far west, during which time we began to think this book was inadequate without personal contact, we received a long letter from the son himself, a letter which we feel will be of tremendous help to others who live in distant places, who feel alone and totally unable to work this program out by themselves, a letter which encompasses a man's solitary effort to take what we had to offer and carry the program through alone.
alone except for one book and the help which printed pages could give, alone until he had tried our program of recovery and found spiritual comfort and help. He wrote as follows. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for your letters and for Alcoholics Anonymous. I have read this book from cover to cover, and it is really the first time I have read anything dealing with alcoholism that made sense and showing understanding of the problems of the alcoholic. I found the personal stories very accurate as pertaining to my own experience. Any one of them might have been my own story. I started drinking in 1917 when I was 18. I enlisted in the Army, soon became a non-commissioned officer, went overseas as a sergeant. I associated with older men, drank, gambled, and ran around with them, sampling everything France had to offer. Upon my return from France, I continued drinking. At that time, I could get plenty tight at night, get up in the morning, and go to work feeling okay. The following fifteen years were one drunk after another, which, of course, as they got worse, meant one job after another. Police department, truck driving, etc., then, in an attempt to get away from it all, I enlisted in the U.S. Marine Corps. In thirteen months' time, I drank very little and was promoted to gunnery sergeant, a rank that usually takes ten or twelve years to obtain, if ever. I started drinking again. In six months, I was reduced to line sergeant. I transferred to get away from my former associates. Then came several years in China. China, of all places for a man who wanted to stay away from booze. My four years over, I did not re-enlist. Came more jobs selling automobiles, real estate, etc., then down to odd jobs. I was drinking so much no one could take a chance by giving me a steady job, such as I could easily have handled if I left the liquor alone. I married, and the booze split that up. My mother was a nervous wreck. I was getting arrested for drinking three or four times a year. I had myself committed on two different occasions to state hospitals, but soon after discharge I was back at it again. Two years ago I went to a private hospital for a liquor cure. A week after getting out I was curious as to what would happen if I took a drink. I took it. Nothing happened. I took another. Why go further? I went back to the private hospital, came out, and was okay for a few months, then added again. Now, previous to this, and at the time of these cures, I was working at a state hospital for the insane. I saw continually the effects of liquor, but did it help me to leave it alone? No, it did not. But it did make me realize that if I did not, I would end up in the bug house, and someone else would be carrying the keys. After several years of working at mental institutions, always in a violent ward, on account of my 6 feet 2 inches and 210 pounds, I realized there was too much nervous tension, and every couple of months I would blow up and be off drunk for a week or 10 days. I left the mental work and got a job at the county general hospital, where I am now in a medical ward. We get quite a few patients with DTs, all broken out with wine sores, etc., I steadied down a bit, but not enough. I was off sick for several days every six or eight weeks. I married again, a good Catholic girl whose people were used to having liquor, especially wine around the house always. She, of course, could not understand about my drinking. As far as that's concerned, neither could I. 
and all this time my poor mother and wife became more and more worried. Mother had heard of your wonderful work and wrote a doctor. You answered with letters and finally the book. Before the book arrived and after reading the chapters, I knew that the only way to combat this curse was to ask the help of that greater power, God. I realized it even though I was then on a binge. I contacted a friend of mine who is a liaison officer of the disabled veterans of the World War. He made arrangements for my care in a state sanitarium which specializes in alcoholism. I wanted to get the liquor out of my system and start this new idea right. I explained my absence as flu, and under the care of the head psychiatrist, spent most of the time from September 1, 1938, till January 15, 1939, at the hospital, having my appendix removed and a ventral hernia fixed up. Six weeks ago, I returned from the sanitarium, and your book was here waiting for me. I read... More than that, I pored over it so as not to miss anything. I thought to myself, yes, this is the only way. God is my only chance. I have prayed before, but I guess not the right way. I have followed out the suggestions in the book. I am happier this moment than I have been in years. I'm sure I have found the solution, thanks to Alcoholics Anonymous. I have had talks with another man, an attorney, who was at the sanitarium when I was. He has my book now, and he is very much enthused. I go down to the sanitarium every week for a checkup and medicine which they give me, just a tonic, no sedatives. The manager has asked me to contact some of his patients along our line. How I told him I would appreciate his letting me do so. Would you put me in touch with some AAs out here? I know it would help me, and help me to help others. I hope you can make sense out of this letter. I could write so much more, but this I have written just as it popped into my head. Please let me hear from you. This man's lone struggle was impressive. Wouldn't this story of his solitary recovery be helpful to many others who would have to start out by themselves with only this book to aid them? So we immediately sent him a wire. Just received letter. May we have your permission to use letter anonymously in book as first example of what might be accomplished without personal contact. Important you wire this permission as book is going to printer. Alcoholics Anonymous. His wire arrived next day. Permission granted with pleasure. Lots of luck. Appendix. The Alcoholic Foundation. In our text, we have shown the alcoholic how he may recover, but we realize that many will want to write us. To receive these inquiries, to administer royalties from this book, and such other funds as may come to hand, a trust has been created known as the Alcoholic Foundation. Three trustees are members of Alcoholics Anonymous. The other four are well-known business and professional men who have volunteered their services. The Trust states these four, who are not of Alcoholics Anonymous, or their successors, shall always constitute a majority of the Board of Trustees. We must frankly state, however, that under present conditions we shall be unable to reply to all inquiries, as our members, in their spare time, may attend to most of the correspondence. 
Nevertheless, we shall strenuously attempt to communicate with those men and women who are able to report that they are staying sober and working with other alcoholics. Once we have such an active nucleus, we can then perhaps refer to them those inquiries which originate in their respective localities. Starting with small but active centers created in this fashion, we are hopeful that fellowships will spring up and grow very much as they have among us. The Alcoholic Foundation is our sole agency of its kind. We have agreed that all business engagements touching our alcoholic work shall have the approval of its trustees. People who state they represent the Alcoholic Foundation should be asked for credentials and, if unsatisfactory, these ought to be checked with the Foundation at once. We welcome inquiry by scientific, medical, and religious societies. This volume is published by the Works Publishing Company, organized and financed mostly by small subscriptions by our members. This company donates the customary royalty from each copy of Alcoholics Anonymous to the Alcoholic Foundation. To order this book, send your check or money order for $3.50 to Book Orders Only to Works Publishing Company, Church Street, Annex Post Office, Box 657, New York City. General Correspondence to The Alcoholic Foundation, Church Street, Annex Post Office, Box 658, New York City. This concludes the reading of The Rolling Stone, Lone Endeavor, and the appendix from the first edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm grateful you listened. This also concludes the reading of the entire first edition of the big book. Stay tuned for my reading of the complete second edition, with episodes featuring all 11 chapters, the first 164 pages, as well as 37 stories from the personal stories section and all six appendices at the end of the book. Download and subscribe for free to the Big Book Podcast at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Or listen at our website, bigbookpodcast.com, where you will also find transcriptions of chapters in the main section of the Big Book. Also, join our Facebook group, Big Book Podcast Listeners, where you can share with fellow listeners. If you enjoyed listening, I'd be super glad if you can leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It'll help others find us. And please, share this podcast with your friends and anyone you know who has a desire to stop drinking. It may be the only version of the big book they ever hear. Mm-hmm.